have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard, and you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not happy with doing it, Welcome to another episode of Johnson Title Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. This episode's guest is Dan Jacobs, guitarist for Atreyu, and with me, as always, as the co-vocalist in this podcast, is Mr. Daniel Terry. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm I'm kind of the rough vocalist, whereas John is the clean vocalist. Oh, I don't know about right now. My throat is uh, pretty scratched up and, and rough. I've been catching that whatever cold's been... I've been fighting off whatever cold's been going around. I made a huge mistake this week, dude. I shaved my beard off, and now my lips are all chapped and stuff. And I'm like, I've made like why? Why did I pick this week to do that? And uh, yeah, no, my throat's been scratchy. I had a, uh, I've had sick kids. I've had just so much garbage going on in my own body and in apparently other people's bodies as well. <laughs> uh, which which actually ended in a really funny story of. Uh, <laughs> my own daughter puking on the couch of Joe from discography discussions <laughs> puked all over his couch. I'm all just of... assuming she didn't like his, his hot take on whatever band you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, she was upstairs. She couldn't even hear us talking, but, uh, she just knew. Yeah. Whatever, whatever it is that he said must've been wrong. Therefore she had to just expel it. <laughs> anyway, though, um, <laughs> this is, uh, the second interview I did while I was, uh, down in Fort Wayne to see the Atreyu Memphis Mayfire, uh, Ice Nine Kills sleep signal show. Um, this is a fun one. Um, Dan is someone I have long admired as a short statured guitar player myself. Uh, Dan has always been one of those people where I go, look at that. You don't need to be super tall to, to be, you know ruggedly good looking and play guitar and all that stuff i mean granted i don't have the good looking part either but i mean still oh sorry this was the part where i had to jump in and be like no john you're good looking <laughs> no i thought you were actually no <laughs> i was actually waiting for you to be like yeah you know like back in the the early late 90s early 2000s you know it was a lot of uh i mean <clears throat> i i gotta kind of look over at you know the swedes over in uh and soil work and things like that you know you just got these like six foot two model looking motherfuckers like playing guitar or, like crushing guitar yeah. <laughs> Seriously though, soil work dudes are always good looking. You're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's almost with like uh, I don't know. Maybe this is gonna sound like a loving version of uh, of, of categorizing people, but uh, pretty much most dudes from Sweden and and women from Sweden are are all good looking. Um, I don't know if it's something in the water, if it's their healthcare system, or what it is. But for whatever reason, they're the country that can even make extreme metal sound good and listenable. It's true. You know, and bouncy and happy. Like, seriously, I remember watching old In Flames videos, like old In Flames. And they're playing like melodic death metal and people are just jumping up and down with the horns in the air like they're at a Linkin Park concert. <laughs> it's just the craziest thing. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the craziest thing, I had a really fucking crazy drink. Um I don't know if I mentioned it on the Matty Mullins episode, um, but the drummer of Ice Nine Kills, Patrick Galante, Galant, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his last name. Um, I should learn it, though, because 
in theory, he said he's going to come on this show. Um, I'd also want to take a moment to say apologies if you hear me clear my throat quite a bit. Like I said, um, I want to get this episode out to you guys, but I am kind of fighting a cold. Um, but no, Patrick is a bartender down in the Buffalo, New York area. And so every day of the Atreyu tour, he makes a completely different cocktail for that day. And so the day, because I'm not drinking now, um, I'm having a Sprite Zero, so enjoy that tidbit. Um, mm, tasty. It actually is pretty good. I, I'm, my wife has gotten me into the diety drinks, which I used to think were garbage. Um, all that being said, though, um, the drink for the, the day of the tour that I was at was uh, his take on a, a New York sour. So basically it was three dashes of bitters. Half ounce simple syrup, three quarter three quarter ounce lime juice, and one egg white and two ounces of bullet bourbon. Uh, basically, you'll dry shake that without ice to activate the egg white. Wet shake with the ice, pour, let it settle for a few seconds, and then float on the top some red wine, which he used a, a cab uh, on top. And I gotta say, it may sound like none of those things should go together, but it not only was it a very pretty looking drink because of the bullet being the brown the the bitters and and all that kind of stuff and then you get this like frothy top with like a little bit of red you know from the wine splashed on top it actually all really worked really well it was a very delicious drink and i think they could definitely get you into trouble because you don't really taste any one thing but basically you're you're between the bitters which i think is like four percent uh the bullet which i don't even know what the fuck that is and then wine on top of it it's like you know i'll mix my beer and my liquor (laughs) <laughs> but I've never right. thought to mix liquor and wine and be like, oh, okay, Jesus juice, here we go. <laughs> right. It's actually the Super Soldier Serum. <laughs> yeah, actually, over the weekend, I got my hands on a new beer. Uh, well, it's not new, but it's new to me um, from Narrow Gauge Brewing Company called Cloud City IPA. Okay. And um, so Narrow Gauge is run by this dude named Jeff Hardesty, and the dude is like the king of IPAs here in St. Louis. Um, he's made some of my favorite IPAs. He did uh, Fallen Flag, which is my current favorite, and second favorite is uh, is his Hoppy Meal, oh, okay. uh, double dry hopped, and I mean it is just outrageous. The first time I ever went to Narrow Gauge, actually, um, me and Jeff from Discography Discussion went to Narrow Gauge Brewery, um, with uh, a guy named Dustin, uh, who run who used to run a podcast called uh drunken lullabies i sometimes he does new episodes but anyway uh he came down there and we we drank pretty much all the samplers like it was like three or four plates of samplers and uh these are all like eight percent beers or whatever but uh pretty much any ipa from narrow gauge is like pretty much the best you can get out here where i live yeah, I uh, that actually sounds really good. I was trying to think of a beer I actually had today with my lunch after uh, cleaning my whole house and all that kind of stuff, and uh, I do remember it all of a sudden. Um, so I didn't drink. A, I'm not drinking a beer now, but I had one earlier, so it counts. Um, I had an Austin Brothers Mucho Mango Smoothie IPA. Ooh, it was it was good. It was interesting. I was I was expecting more of like a. And granted, with an IPA, you shouldn't expect a cream ale kind of flavor, but. <laughs> with the with the smoothie part of it, I was expecting a very smooth, um, you know, finish to it. And uh, the other one that there was that I really wanted to try, but I, unfortunately, we I ate my meal and drank everything, and then it was time to go, so I didn't have time for a second beer. But uh, was an ectoplasmic orange, so I think oh. it was supposed to play off of like the ecto cooler. I think that's interesting. I, yeah, I want to go back. I was at this place called Hopcat. I know you guys got them in Louisville. It's after seeing, looking up all the locations. So yeah, 
Um, or St. Louis. I, St. Louis, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> Toomey's to to Louisville. Terry is uh, St. There's, Louis. There's too many things that are the same. T's, Toomey's. I know. I know. And we all do these like weekly podcasts. It's insane. You're always in but, my ears. Uh, absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like uh, it sounds like a playoff of Ecta Cooler. Yeah. It's so weird, too, because like, I used to I used to have Ecta Coolers on the regular um my mom used to get like an insane discount on them so like i always drank extra coolers as a kid and that's one of the saddest things and actually it does relate to beer drinking in a way because like i'm a huge fan of of like uh very independent like breweries and you know even if it's like a buddy of mine that's like hey man i'm thinking about brewing my own stuff like i'll check it out i mean most of the time when somebody says that it sucks but like being a fan of like smaller breweries how this relates back to ecto coolers that you know they just stopped making ecto cooler yeah and it was the only drink that was like tasted like that and um i get that a lot now like being into like more i guess quote-unquote underground beers is that like i'll try something like really amazing and then they either discontinue it forever or they go out of business or they get bought by anheuser-busch and then their stuff starts tasting like garbage and so I've experienced that a lot lately where, you know, within the last five years of like, man, this was so good. And then you just never experienced that taste again. Like, can you imagine like <laughs> if you suddenly never could like, like if you had your favorite restaurant that made like an amazing dish and then they just went out of business and like, you just literally never tasted that combination of ingredients again. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's coming from the restaurant world. That happens all the time because you're, your source of, I mean, your restaurant, your favorite restaurant could even still be open and get that same meal. But the problem is, is like Gordon's may have gone somewhere else. Like the company that made your favorite, you know, queso dip went under and now it's a new thing or something about the right. ingredients changed or whatever. And so therefore it's like, that's, I think the worst thing is like when something is like sets something apart like that. And then you're like, oh my God, this is the best. I mean, I think that's kind of relating it back to beer. That's why I think it's so interesting, you know, like when people fall in, like here, Oberon from bells everyone fucking loves bells over on i to me it's like if you want a, a weed ale i'd rather just have blue moon and i can have it all year round um and it's a better flavor to me but what's interesting yeah. is like the variations on the flavor year to year where i'm still like well i actually think like five years ago was the best one that they had and i didn't even think it was that great but out of the last five years it was the best one and then it's even yeah. inter more interesting how i mean this isn't i mean if you drink beer or anything like that like the differences between, you know, draft, can, bottle, whatever are uh, pretty obvious, but it's always yeah. interesting to, to just see, like, how different just even the container that it comes in is, um, but, yeah, no, it's been, uh, that was the, the, man the Mucho Mango Smoothie IPA was, uh, pretty good, I kind of wish I had more of it, um, I did see that they had my, my favorite beer, the Nutter Your Business on draft, which, that's, <laughs> nice. that's pretty life-changing, but, I was like, you know, been there, done that. Let's get something I haven't had before. Um, I'm actually looking forward to uh, going to Buffalo this weekend. And uh, as a result of my trip to Buffalo, um, I think this is going to be the only episode probably this week. And we'll probably get another one out next week. Um, but I'm going to kind of do one just due to uh, my my flying and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to have time to, to link up with Dan and do stuff while I'm you know trying to have a vacation. Right. I'll be gone the following week, but you won't notice. <laughs> I go out of town frequently uh, for my work, and uh, 
seems like we never end up we, we always end up recording everything in such a way that you never notice that i was actually gone Right. And something you will notice is, uh, speaking of drinking and our guest, Dan Jacobs, uh, you'll notice uh, Porter McKnight makes <laughs> makes a fun uh, little cameo in this. Uh, right in the middle of my interview, he, I just feel someone over my shoulder and a cup come into my face, and uh, it's a shot of whiskey. Um, so much to what, like what Dan was saying last week, uh, or the last episode, basically, of, uh, oh, you weren't really hammered at this point. That was the first drink I had, and then... Pretty much at that point, since the interview was done, I was like, okay, now I can have fun and let loose. Um, but, uh, again, huge uh, thanks to uh, Porter and the rest of the Atreyu and the, actually the whole package as a whole uh, for being very generous uh, with the space that they had. Uh, they basically led us into their green room, which was you know kind of the home away from home for them for the day. And uh, everyone was super nice and you know more to the fact super nice to my wife, which uh, goes a long way with me. If you're nice to my wife, even if you don't have to be, uh, I think it kind of really, you know, speaks to the character of uh, everybody involved, and uh, everyone couldn't have been nicer. Uh, definitely tried including her. I think it also helps that almost everyone's married, so they definitely know, you know, like, oh, don't, don't leave the <laughs> the woman yeah, out not, of this thing. We're all we're all adults now. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Because like teenage dudes, like a guy shows up with his girlfriend, and they're like, nobody speaks to her at all. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. But, you know, dude, we're all we're all almost some of us are almost pushing 40 now. So it's like, yeah, that stuff goes out the window. Yeah. And speaking of getting this out the window, that's a bad segue, but it's going to be as good of one as I can get. Let's get into my conversation with Dan Jacobs of Atreyu, and we will talk to you guys later. I have the pleasure this early evening of talking to Dan Jacobs, guitarist for Atreyu here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, at Pierre's. I believe is how you say it. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been here one other time to see uh, Gojira. It was a pretty yes. good show. Um, you guys have a new record out, uh, In Our Wake. It's already out. How has the Have you been surprised at the reaction to the new record? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, a band like us, we've been around for such a long time now. I mean, almost 20 years, and it's our seventh album, and... Um, I don't know, every album you put out, it's always like, you know, how is this going to go over? What are people going to think? And uh, we've taken a lot of kind of left turns and, and always, you know, try to surprise people with every album, do something a little bit different. And we wanted this album to just be another one of um, those kind of vibes where, you know, people are surprised, but in a good way. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it's been kind of funny. Like, you know, when I was talking with Porter uh, a while ago before the record actually dropped, you know, it was... He was saying that there's a lot of left turns to come, and, you know, at the time I didn't know that you guys were working with Feldman again, but I think, you know, I had made the comment once I finally found out that it's like, you know, that was at the time one of your biggest, like, kind of left turns for a lot of the fans, and it seems like, you know, every time you work with him, he just brings out this this different side of you guys that I think really is interesting as a fan and a longtime fan to just see like how that work working relationship between you guys as the band and John Feldman just creates really interesting things. And, and more so to the point, and, and I can actually talk to you about this is, you know, like you guys experimented a lot with your guitar tones on this record. And I mean, like your clean tones, like some of the actual like um, effects you guys are using and stuff like that. Like I, 
honestly can't really point to to much any or any other record where there's been that much experimentation in the tones so how what led to that like was that something you guys were already looking at doing in the songwriting process or is that something that john's kind of like you know like let's throw a flange or some weird crazy effect on this and just kind of see how it turns out uh all of the above i mean we're we've always been very experimental you know and especially um nowadays even more so because of technology makes it really easy um and we used kempers for the entire literally the entire album was recorded on kempers i mean every once in a while a, a pedal would come out here and there but almost every effect that we need to achieve can be done through the Kemper or, you know, there's a, a plug-in or something on, you know, on Pro Tools or whatever um, where you can just do everything digitally. So it allows you to get creative on the fly a lot faster and, and capture cool ideas in the moment, whereas, you know, in, in the past you could spend an entire day <laughs> getting a guitar tone for a right. song, you know, and it's just it's just more, uh, you know, because it is so much faster, it allows us to be even more creative and, and add way more crazy stuff. Whereas, like I said, in the past, because of how long it would take, we didn't have enough time to really experiment as much. Um, so that's why that uh, allows us to do it a little bit more. With the Kempers and, like, you know, the AFXs and, or Axe FX or whatever they're called and stuff like that, you know, you guys had a pretty tried-and-true sound for a while on your records. Did you find that having the cap- – like, now having this, like, have you – I've seen a lot of people, like, fuck these amps now like i'm it's just this it's so much easier to tour because you can literally fly with you know the thing as opposed to here's my cab here's my cases like all this extra gear have you found in the last two record cycles roughly that it's a lot easier to just have that as opposed to having all like the amps and pedals and all that stuff 100 percent. i mean see the whole thing nowadays before like more was more you know and now (laughs) it's all about less is more you know right it's all about production, you know, as far as the eye candy of things. But as far as your sound and everything, I mean, especially if you're, a, you know, um, more of a working class band, you know, where, you know, every dollar really counts and you don't want to be blowing money on gas and things like that. And <laughs> space and all these things, just lugging tons of equipment around. So being able to um, have, you know, almost unlimited tones. I mean, you can download thousands, ten, you know, thousands and thousands of effects and tones in your amp. And if you're a guitar player, like most guitar players were, you know, every, you know, few weeks, all of a sudden you're kind of like, man, I'm kind of over this tone. I want to, you know, I found a better one. You know, there's always yeah. another one, you know. This allows you to do that, whereas you're not just kind of stuck with the amps that you have on the road and that's your tone the whole tour or whatever. What's been a tone that you've, I won't say stole, but like what's been a tone that you were able to now have as a result of the profiler that you are like, oh my God, I always wanted this, but like I couldn't figure it out or whatever? Um, there's not, I wouldn't say there's anyone in particular necessarily like that. Is I'll there be, like an, like a, like an amp setup, like if you were like, oh man, I really wish I had like a 58 Vox, like just a twin, you know, blah, 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 like all that stuff. Like, is there something like that, like that short of you having a shitload of money to buy it, like that you're like, oh my God, I got it now. It's been so like inspiring to like have this, this new profile that I can actually play around with. Um, more so like, I mean, I was using EVH. Um, yeah. The, um, yeah, the EVH heads, you know, and the, uh, they have that profile in the head, in the Kemper. So I just kind of, I just keep using that, you know, I just, I like the tone. I just, uh. You know, every once in a while, I'll go mess through stuff. And, um, I mean, there's so many variables. You know what I mean? There's so many amp settings. There's so many guitar tones. And then there's all the effects on top of that. And you can just, I mean, you can just go nuts with it. And it's like, you can get lost in it really easy. And it's almost hard to find a good tone sometimes because there's so many rad ones. You're like, you know, you think you have it. And then you kind of A, B it with something else. And you're like, oh, no, maybe I like this one better. And then you A, B that one with another one. And you're like, oh, no, no, I like this one better. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know. I just can't. There's so many good tones. You know, I, I'm i not going to go into the whole thing. Uh, the quote of, of Alex is that, you know, blew up. Um, 
but a, a, an interesting thing about that was I was really surprised to see how many people in that conversation and I think it's the fun thing too is I feel like you know the the early metalcore thing like that was one of the first genres that felt like mine you know like I love 80s hair metal but like that was more like my dad's yeah. generation like that was kind of his music or even the like the 70s stuff before that but I felt like this was like one of the first waves of, of rock or metal that felt like this is my thing like it's happening and blowing up now so as a result of that like this the whole conversation that sparked as a result of the comment was really interesting because it, it kind of brought something back that you know you guys came back you know on long live had been away for a while um, Bleeding Through is, is back now you know 18 Visions you know has a new record like all these bands that like I kind of grew up with are, are coming back and putting out arguably some of the best records they've ever put out and so I kind of wanted to know like in light of that comment is it in, is it is it interesting and, and kind of um, humbling I guess to see so many people include you guys and look at what you've done over the 20 some odd years of you being a band and hold you in such high regard in comparison to a lot of like you know the these other bands like you know your can your converges or your whoever you want to put in front of you know the who invented whatever but yeah is it i feel like it's got to be pretty rad though to see a lot of people still be like well a tree you actually was they are this band they are on this pedestal they belong up there just like everybody else well, i mean what is that like from from your perspective yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, like, while everything's happening, you don't really think as much of it, you know, and until years have gone by and you've had that time to let all the chips kind of land where they may, and then you can look back on it and it's like, oh, wow, like, I didn't realize until now, like, how much of an, you know, an influence our band or other bands of our genre had, you know, but, um, I mean, even, you know, from Alex making a comment, like, us inventing metalcore or something like that, it's, it's, um, you know, to pinpoint exactly where anything came from is, you know, almost impossible to an yeah. extent, you know? But, um, you know, as far as just having a very big influence, I mean, our band was one of the first bands to really push the singing, screaming thing where we, it was kind of like screaming verses, big singing choruses, where it wasn't like a lot of earlier, like, you know, if you go back to like the origins of metalcore in particular, it's just these, it's just very heavy, thrashy metal with like, you know, breakdowns in it and stuff and hardcore elements and stuff. And then, what we, you know, especially Alex in particular, what we refer to as quote unquote metalcore is when you think of the singing, screaming yeah. end of it. You know, I mean, that, that, when it got to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, us being with bands to kind of take it to another level. Like, we were one of the first bands that really took it to like almost a mainstream level where you'd hear on mainstream radio singing and screaming, and had never really been done before. Yeah. You know, something, and kind of going through the band's discography in the last week or so leading up to this show just kind of preparing for whatever the hell you guys end up playing something that kind of stuck out to me and it's kind of become now a trope um and it's it's always been a thing even before you guys did this but i can't really again where you're kind of like where does the it's kind of hard it blurs where you find the pinpoint but or the starting point but it was you know your cover of uh bon jovi's uh Shit, what the hell is you it? give love a bad name. Yeah, because I, I was thinking of the set list that's on my wall and it just says Shred Jovi. So I always now call it that in my head because of that. But uh, <laughs> it was one of those things where, you know, you guys would – I mean, you guys were also one of the few bands I can think of that played Queen, you know, when you used to come out to Fat Bottom Girls and you would yeah. play, like, a little part of that into the, the beginning of the set. But with the Bon Jovi cover, like, that seems to be a trope now where, like, a lot of heavier bands will take a song and kind of do their spin to it or whatever. And you guys were one of the first. Like, how did you guys come up with – with to do that and how did you land on that song out of a lot of the other songs i guess you could have picked um i think it's important there's two elements that are really important 
about cover songs um, for us at the time. You know, my smell self, especially, we were really into. I was really into 80s metal and all that kind of stuff, and something like Bon Jovi. Uh, even our sound, there's a lot of that influence in our sound at the time when we just put out the curse. So like having, if we're going to cover a song, because it's one of those songs that's such a big popular song that everybody knows the words to, and that's the key thing is that everybody knows the words to it, Yeah. Um, that we can play it live, and if maybe you've never heard of our band before, maybe you have, but you're just not super familiar with it, that's that one song that we can play where people will be able to sing along and feel a part of the set and uh, be able to get into it, even if you've never heard our band before. It's kind of funny because I remember seeing you guys on the, the Curse Tour when you guys first started doing that. And what was pretty interesting is, you know, obviously you guys had a younger demographic. And so you'd get a lot of parents that are just there by happenstance of like, well, I'm bringing my kid to this thing, so I'm here. Yeah. But I remember sitting next to this, this mom, like, and she had all the kids' shit, like all the merch bundle and all that kind of stuff. And you guys cut into that, and she's like, I know this, and got real excited. So it was almost like, is it kind of one of those things, like, you're aware of the fact that you're, because of the age ranges of your fans, that potentially doing this is going to kind of be, like, a, a, something to throw to, like, the parents as well, and be like, hey, look, I know you just sat here for, like, an hour listening to us literally screaming, and you're probably thinking it's noise, but, like, hey, here's something for you, too. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, our band has kind of been a bridging gateway band for for ages to different genres of music from people that were like weren't into heavy music that wanted to cross over into heavy and like it wasn't until they heard our band where they're like oh man maybe I do like heavier music I just never heard it presented like this before and that opened the door up to even heavier stuff they didn't realize they'd be into um you know same thing with even people of different ages you know like we have like such a, a variety of generations of styles of music within our music that people of all ages can relate whether it be we have people now that grew up listening to us and now have kids and their kids listen to us and they listen to us and maybe even their parents listen to us sometimes which is <laughs> it's strange you know like to uh, in a really cool way you know we had kind of already talked about the fact that the band's been around for 20 years now uh, or maybe a little bit more in the formation because i think that you guys were a different Reinventing? Was that the name of the band before? Oh, called Retribution, Retribution for a little bit. Okay. I knew it was Since, something with an R. 97. <laughs> so 21 years now of being collectively together. Looking back, what has been something that has surprised you about along the journey of, of Atreyu? Man, I mean, all of it, you know? Like just, uh, <laughs> <the> <laughs> I fact, know it's a very generic question. You know, the but... fact that I, I mean, the fact that 20 years later I can still be sitting here doing an interview at a show where there's, you know, over 1,000 tickets sold to you know, me and my buddies writing music together. I mean, at this point in our time, I've, I've been doing this longer than I haven't, you know, I've known the guys in my band and playing music longer than I haven't. Like I literally don't even really remember too much of my life prior to playing music. So it's, uh, it's, it's awesome to, I think the coolest, most surprising thing is that I can still be doing this in my, you know, like late thirties now. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of wanted to shift, shift gears a little bit. Um, plugins. Oh Yeah. So how did you come up with that idea? Um, it's actually not my idea in particular. Okay. It's a, uh, a friend of ours came up with the initial idea. Uh, his name's Mike Strickland. He's our business partner. Okay. Uh, my brother, uh, Joe, and myself and Mike all partnered together on this. And uh, um, outside of plugins, my brother and I have a merchandising company as well as a print shop. Okay. Um, we have a merch company called Rock World Merch. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a print shop called the World's Greatest Print Shop. Um, okay. So we do merchandising for bands, for festivals, for all kinds of stuff. And uh, we make a lot of T-shirts and knickknacks and things. So when uh, Mike came to us, um, he was a friend of a friend and was looking to develop this product. He had this idea. He didn't really know what to do with it, though. 
Uh, we're like, dude, I, we know what to do this. We can make this thing great. We can help license brands with it. We can help get it into Guitar Center and do all these things with it and get bands, you know, using them, make custom ones for bands. And um, fast forward to now, we basically, it's in Guitar Center. We have a licensing deal with Marshall Amps. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one with Fender now that we just got. We're developing oh, okay. the Fender one, which is the two biggest amp companies in the world. So for us, we're ecstatic, you know, like it's super cool. And it's uh, it's going really, really well. We have a lot of stories that are picking it up. It's We got worldwide distribution. Um, it's crazy. It's 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 uh, something I never thought I'd be doing. You know, especially selling a keychain holder. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's music related. So yeah. everything I do is music related. So I feel I was I remember seeing an ad for a knockoff one. I don't even know what the hell it was called. Oh, but yeah. I was like, I remember seeing that. I was like, well, I guess you've made it. You know, you have a good product when someone's already ripping off the idea. Yeah. The second we made them, we were getting we were getting ripped off real quick. We had to swat a few people down. Well, I was gonna say like, this is maybe an odd question, but like this, thanks to the Shark Tank. Uh, phenomenon like you learn about things such as you know proprietorship and llc's and like all this kind of stuff or patents patents and so forth so it's like when i saw it i was like is there technically a patent like a a thing that makes this unique unto itself other than just it's your thing and it it is what it is but then i was like well i mean shark tank has taught me that like something stupidly minute of just being like well ours has this yeah and doing it this way with this design makes it completely unique so therefore we we got here first yeah totally you can we had a, a company in particular i'm not gonna say the name but, yeah um they um the second we did this their com- they were their company existed making something completely a completely different irrelevant product uh we put ours out they saw this made their own version of it put it up on their site and it was kind of like weird that it was on their site because if you look at the rest of their products you're like this isn't it's like it's like if somebody was selling like broomsticks and all of a sudden they're selling cupcakes and you're like that's weird like, <laughs> why is there cupcakes on this broomstick site that doesn't make any sense and right that's what this company was doing and they um we kept shutting them down because we have, you know, we had the rights to it. But they basically, after a while, finally, they just went and al- kept altering it to a point where we couldn't do anything. Right. And uh, it doesn't sell as well as ours. And we have the license to Marshall and, and, and Fender and all the things to where, like, we won in that sense. There's nothing they can do. We have Amazon. We have everything. Guitar Center, all the things. But, um, yeah, it's, like I said, it's it's flattering in the sense, you know, it's just, <laughs> just don't take any money out of my pocket. You said right. Pitches. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that you... I knew that obviously you had rock clothing uh, from a while ago. I didn't realize that you worked or owned a printing company. Um, That's actually my job. I work for a pretty big screen printing company in town. We do like big box retail bullshit. Okay. Um, And then like some fun, cool stuff like Johnny Cupcakes. We used to do Rocket, I think, back in the day too. Oh, yeah. Um, The thing that I've found interesting in doing that is like kind of very much like a band or a brand itself. You got to pay attention to trends and so forth. So what's been something in you doing the clothing side of things like that, the printing, what's been an interesting trend that you're seeing coming back or that is happening that you, you really didn't expect? Dad hats. Yeah. Dad hats are really popular. We, uh, we print, like I said, for a lot of merchandising companies. So aside from bands that we personally deal with, we have all these merch companies bringing all their bands. We print insane amount of stuff for insane amount of bands and you can see all the wave of trends in music because mm-hmm. of it, because there's so many different genres of music that we're printing for. Yeah. Or, or doing embroidery for or whatever, you know. But um, dad hats are probably the most unique thing that I've seen that's popping up that almost every band does. It's kind of a weird... Yeah. I, I can't... I pers- I'm a hat guy. I love wearing hats. I wear hats daily. But um, me personally, like, I, I'm not one of those people that can just throw any hat on and be like, yeah, this looks great. Like, I'm really picky <laughs> with my hats. Yes. Yeah. Dad hats, for me, I'm just, I can't get into them. I'm, I think they look cool sometimes. But it's just no. a weird... It's a weird <laughs> trend. Like, some, some, you know, some people can pull them off, you know? But for the most part, it's just weird. Yeah, I uh, I think for me it's been, although it seems to be waning already, 
with the uh, like the, the weird like custom tie dye stuff. Yeah, that's really popular. Or like right the now. bleaching. Yeah. Like we have a tie dye shirt we just did for our, our VIPs. Okay. Just, yeah, it's uh, been it's popular. Got to do it, you know. Yeah. The thing that pisses me off though is like we will have a maybe like a 900 piece run or something, and then we'll have to wait for the distributor to send us these shirts yeah. custom made for for us for this order, and then it's like okay, these are for the three orders. And then it's like, save whatever for the last in case, you know, to make our numbers. And then it's always like, and then run whatever the fuck the last job is to get these done because we can't use them yeah. after the fact. And then, like, no one reads. So it's like we just have, like, literally, like, a, a full palette full of various tie-dye oh, from, yeah. like, the last, like, ten years worth of stuff. And you're just like... Random colors. They're like, random ever going to yeah. pink tie-dye shirt yeah. for this custom band? Yeah. Yeah, like the cabbage the coleslaw looking crinkle cut one, and you're just like, oh god, this is terrible. Like, and it feels like shit. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's such <laughs> and then like the piece. thing that gets me too, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, is when the customer will be like, well, the the print didn't really because the tie dye like it kind of obscures or doesn't print the same on everything. It's like, yeah. well, the tie dye is not the same. Like we can't we can't yeah, tell no. someone how to. We'll make sure like the center of the chest is like all white, so that way like the graphic will look good. Yeah, it's like. No. Trying to explain people how it really works, like nobody, no, most people don't understand the whole printing process or no. how producing clothes works. So it's like, you know, like oh, you know, how long is it gonna take me to you know, make my stuff? And it's like oh, maybe it'll be you know one to two weeks. And they're like two weeks, you know, like I don't, what, what it takes so long? It's like well, <laughs> you're not the only person that I'm making stuff for. Yeah. For one, you know, two, yeah. there's so many variables. Whether you said like ordering the blanks, um, you know, if if one thing goes wrong, those blanks don't show up on time, or they order gets wrong, or sometimes even the people you ordered from put the order in incorrectly and you're in this rush order and all of a sudden the shirts show up and it's the wrong color and you're like oh my god i don't have time to fix this like yeah what am i supposed to do right now i didn't i did everything right you know but somebody else along the line messes it up and i think a fun thing that i've learned is uh thank you a fun thing that i've learned is uh we're doing shots <laughs> thank you <laughs> so good it's your stuff i know it's so good do you have any of that yet no, I have weird guts, so I don't freaking oh. haven't been drinking the store. Well, I was. I had to stop halfway through. <laughs> um, kind of in wrapping up, though, I, I kind of wanted to talk a little Seinfeld. Sure. How do you follow the Modern Day Seinfeld Twitter page? No, I haven't. I mean, to be honest, my Seinfeld, like, I went through a big Seinfeld kick about three years ago when I, I was just it's, I think it's something everyone goes through, yeah. honestly. I had never, like, when I was younger, I never was into Seinfeld. Not that I didn't like it. I just never paid any attention to it or yeah. thought much of it or just never crossed my radar, really. And then uh, a few years ago, I just, like, just got obsessed with it. Probably over the past, like, maybe even, like, five, six years, like, I started getting really into it. And I went through, like, a three-year stint of just... Loved it to where I built a, a custom guitar that was oh, all yeah. Seinfeld themed yeah, yeah. and um, <laughs> all the things. And it was kind of funny, but I mean, it took a while for the guitar to show up for whatever reasons. But um, by the time I got it, I was kind of like over my Seinfeld kick, where I'm like, I mean, this, I'm stoked to have this now. <laughs> but like, 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 you know, the joke's over though now. You know? No, actually, I feel I feel like that yeah. actually is more Seinfeldian. It is. The fact it's almost like the uh, the Chinese uh, restaurant episode where you're like you're so into it and you're like okay, and then you're just waiting for it and you're waiting for it and you're finally like, let's just should we tell them about it? I don't want it. who cares? Let's just go. Yeah. Seinfeld four. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I got my guitar. Uh, that's no, that's funny. I always it's it's one of those shows like my wife hates. It. She's like, it's so stupid. And I was like, yeah, it is. She goes, it's like about nothing. I go, it's exactly the point. That's the point. It's yeah. the point. It's a. <laughs> I love I that they, like, when they do a show about pitching a show yes! about nothing. Yeah, and, and they're like, that would be terrible. I don't want to watch that. Is, yeah, the whole it's very fourth wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, I recently saw that you've been doing comedy too. A little bit, yeah. How? I would assume comedy is not something that you're just like all of a sudden one day like, oh my god, I love comedy. I want to do this. But I feel like it's something obviously you've probably loved for a long time. But at what point do you start 
studying it, I guess, and kind of figuring out the ins and outs of how to, you know, put together a joke and put together like maybe a tight five minute set that, that, you know, everything's good and, and all that kind of stuff to where you feel comfortable going to do it. Um, it's tough. I mean, for me, like I had a lot of downtime in between our last record cycle, you know, and I was like, man, I want to, let me just try something new, you know, like just try something fresh, you know, and, uh, I like being in front of people and I like making people laugh and stuff. So I was like, maybe, maybe stand up comedy could be a thing, you know? So I have a lot of interesting stories and funny shit I get myself into. I'm a pretty animated guy, so I'm like, I'll, I'll try my hand at comedy, you know. And uh, I ended up going up about, uh, I've gone up ten times so far. And um, it's it's really tough. It's really hard. And it's, um, um, I don't know, like I try something different every time just to kind of see, you know, how it works and, and what works and what doesn't work. And I've had some stuff that's gone over okay, and I've gotten some laughs, and I've had some stuff where I'm, it's just crickets. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so awkward. Which, which is worse, bombing as a band in front of people or bombing solo, you know, because uh, as a band, at least okay. I, it's not fully all my fault. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. Like I think in watching uh, comedians and cars getting coffee, you know, like one of my favorite things about that show is at least in the first season, in the first couple episodes, Jerry was very, uh, would always be like, what's your greatest bombing story. And it's like, those are so interesting. Cause it's like, you look at a lot of these people and you were just, you would just think like, Oh God, like you guys don't bomb. But it's like, you know, like to hear someone be like, Oh my God, there's this, oh, man, there's this room, and, like, nothing was landing, and I'm in front of, like, 1,200 people, like, opening for so-and-so, like, just couldn't have gone any worse, and I had, like, 15 more minutes to go, and you're just like, nah, I'm done. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it's just, it's interesting, so it's it's one of those where I feel like as a result of actually you spending so much time playing and performing in front of people and, and so forth that, like, I feel like it would be a pretty natural shift for you to actually do that. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels, you know. Um, at the same time, it is, like, I'm... I'm much more confident, obviously, playing guitar because I've been yeah. in it for years. So I can go on stage and, like, if something goes wrong, like, I know exactly how to handle it, you know what I mean? To look professional and not, like, freak out on stage or anything. Like, I know exactly how to handle any scenario. Um, do you get nervous with, with your hands? Or are you one of those people that's like, I don't know what to do with my hands? Um, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. But um, with comedy, it's just like, you know, if you go up there and you fucking – something goes wrong, like – you just pan like I've had it where I've gone up before and like I'm, I'm a storyteller a lot of times I want to tell a story and I have a story that's maybe five minutes long and all of a sudden three minutes in the story they gave me the, the one minute flashlight oh yeah <laughs> and I'm kind of like I've been rehearsing this for a, as, as a five minute bit for a while and now I only have four minutes and I don't find this out until I'm in the middle of the bit and I'm like uh <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta cut the fat off this bit right now I don't know what that is <laughs> and it's like I'm panicking you know what I mean? it's just the whole thing is just terrifying it's just like an it's like anything, though. I mean, just when I first started playing as a band, I mean, I'd be so nervous. Like, when we play shows, when we first started, I, it was like a blur to me because I was so nervous. I was, like, shaking, and my hands were all sweaty, and, like, I couldn't even look up at the crowd because it was so intense and crazy, and there could be nobody there, you know? But, um, yeah, with, with comedy, it's just freaking – it's brutal. It's the same thing at the earlier stages especially. And even when you're huge, you know, even the biggest guys bomb, you know? You just have an off night or crowd's in a weird mood, and you come out there, and it just doesn't, like, click right, you know? And shit just gets weird <laughs> <laughs> what's your uh what's your favorite joke right now that you've got i don't really have any that are favorites i mean like <laughs> i have things that i think that are funny you know what i mean where i'm like oh this is funny and then like i you know i go about it and it's just kind of what i mean I, a lot of it's stories like i have stories from the road and stuff that are just ridiculous that uh just weird scenarios and i kind of act them out a little bit because it helps kind of uh bring the story alive a little bit more but, i think uh, it'd be really cool to uh because like I don't know if he still does it, but they're on an, the old Every Time I Die DVD that they put out a long time ago. One of the like Easter egg bonus things was Keith doing like 
local like an open mic or something like that it was like five ten minutes yeah. but like they were just really bad jokes yeah but they're they're so bad they're funny yeah and like no one's laughing yeah it's... and it's just one of those where it's like i think it's fucking hilarious but it's like i feel like it'd be really cool to have like get a bunch of you know musicians together and kind of do like especially if you could package it around a tour like just be like all right so like instead of doing the dj thing like at the end like okay we're doing an after party and so and so and so and so are dj be like all right so like it's gonna be keith you somebody else uh three people we're gonna go to a comedy club and or, or somewhere and we're just gonna tell jokes for like an hour yeah and it's like i think that would be pretty interesting and, and i'm surprised no one's really done it yet I mean, something like that can be smoother. I mean, there's something that I've learned in the brief time that I've done any sort of comedy stuff is, is there is a um, a lot of value in the celebrity aspect. Like, if you have any yeah. sort of celebrity status, um, you can get a lot of laughs just because you're who you are. Not even not even if you actually tell funny jokes, just <laughs> because you're a celebrity and people want to see you and hear you talk. And yeah. Like, you get somebody like. Um, even like a Joe Rogan, for instance, you know what I mean? Joe Rogan's a really interesting guy to listen to. He's yeah. got a really interesting perspective. He's very well-spoken. He has funny moments here and there. But overall, I think because of his level of celebrity and the fact that he's a very well-spoken guy and interesting to listen to, he doesn't need to necessarily be funny the whole time. Yeah. You know, he can just kind of, you just want to listen to him talk and then you know, he'll occasionally do something, whatever, kind of out there and make you laugh and keeps going, you know? But it's not like a... He's not like a, like a Chris, like a Kevin Hart or something like that or an Eddie Murphy where you're just like, dude, this dude is just on fire Richard Pryor or something like that to just yeah. laugh after laugh after laugh after laugh you know it's crazy to still go back like one of my favorite uh, I don't know if I still have it on VHS but the uh, Here and Now I believe the Richard Pryor yeah yeah I think it was what it was I used to watch it wear that thing out like and it's like I knew all the jokes that were coming I knew all the bits but it's still yeah. funny and it's, it's so like it's good. crazy that you can like even like if you go to like back to like some of the old Dane Cook stuff it's like oh he's incredible and it's like it's kind of weird that like so many people shit on that <laughs> shit on that dude that he but became it's like, like this douchey comedian yeah. guy or something but it's like if you really go back like before he was douchey guy like kind of fat and like Simon Says Dennis Rodman movie era like <laughs> yeah, Dane he was, Cook dude, he was, I mean he was an interesting one because he I learned a lot one of the parallels from comedy to music because of him uh, and it was because before he was famous you know and he, this is back in like probably like 2001 something like that um, my girlfriend at the time introduced me to him. She had a CD, his first CD, whatever. I remember hearing these jokes. I'm like, oh, this dude's really funny. And then fast forward like a year later, um, he was playing at like the, uh, the improv by mm-hmm. me. I went and saw him, and he was doing those exact same jokes. And I'm like, oh, it's like a year later. I'm like, oh, it's interesting. This is like, it's almost like the guy's touring his, you know, his album like a band, you know. And then fast forward like a year or two after that, he was huge. And he was doing, he was in movies, and he was doing arenas, touring the same album still. Yeah. Doing the same jokes. And I was like, man, it's so interesting because it's just like a band you know the, these jokes are just like songs that people just want to hear them live and you know and in the moment as much as they enjoy listening to them on the cd that in the moment is a, a whole nother thing i've always thought in that regard that's it's a very weird thing to do because it, yes it is what a lot of fans want is to hear the, the the hits yeah but i feel like it's weird that people would be not upset with a comedian with recycled for not, material yeah but it's like you know What's to me like half the fun of going to see bands or whatever or to see a comedian is like you don't know what you're gonna get and sometimes like you know like going to see like uh, Moshi Kasher and some of those other people like they're really good because they just like kind of whatever the crowd is giving them like uh, like Moshi ended up like because they always stick me up front and I feel like it's because you know oh here's this fucking tattoo guy it'll give somebody something to like bounce off of and everyone can laugh at and I remember he was like oh real strong and I was like no it's an illusion dude like you want to like make people not realize you're fat just tattoo yourself because it 
the fat then looks like muscles as a result of the shading and so forth like yeah. it was a joke and then he w- ended up telling this crazy story about how he was big into being a DJ and used to like play with like uh, bass nectar dude or somebody like that like someone super big in that scene and I was like really and he was like yeah and he's like oh wait yeah we're at a comedy show uh, and then starts you know telling jokes again but it was kind of crazy that like for a minute like there's that human interaction and to me that's what's a lot of fun of going to comedy is like the unexpectedness of the whole night I mean, yeah. the only thing I know that's going to be a constant is I have to have two drinks. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, kind of in wrapping up, though, because um, I don't know what you got to end up doing, but um, where can everyone find you and the band and any of the other things you would like to plug? Um, me personally, if you go Dan Jacobs um, on Instagram, that's kind of the main place I do stuff. I mean, I have Facebook and stuff. I don't really go on. That's more like my personal stuff. But as far as publicly, it's it's Instagram. Uh, Treyu official. If you want anything at Treyu, that's our web page or our website, or whatever. It's the same with our Twitter, or Facebook, um, Instagram, especially. That's where we do most of our stuff. Is Instagram. Um, if you want to check out my keychain, you know, guitar amp plugins, amp holder things, um, you can go at plugins keychains is our uh, our little thing for Instagram. Uh, if you go to thejackrack.com, you can check out our website. If you want to purchase them and whatnot, they're on Amazon. Um, yeah, that's kind of where all the uh, the goodies at. And then I always like to end these out to a song. So what would you like me to end it out to? Uh, let's do uh, House of Gold off the uh, In Our Wake, the new Atreyu album. So that was my conversation with Dan Jacobs of Atreyu. Dan? Not Dan Jacobs. <laughs> what did you think? Of, that should have been my intro. God damn it. Dan, what did you think <laughs> of that conversation? Uh, I think it was really natural, dude. Um, one of my favorite things about good interviews is they sound like two dudes just sitting there at a bar talking. I mean, you're not entirely wrong. That was quite, quite literally what was happening. Um, and, uh, I thought it was a good chat. I'm really glad that he clarified the stuff about the trade you inventing metalcore because the nerd in me wants to tear into the band for saying that. But when he's like, no, it's just really more that like, as far as singable, like, he didn't. I don't think he said poppy metalcore, but that was the indication. It's like, no, it's just metalcore that you can sing and like play, you know, and have people sing along to. And I do like that he said he's like before that it was just like like really hardcore like thrash with like breakdowns and stuff. That's all metalcore really was. And Atreyu was definitely. I don't know if they were the first, but they were one of the first to be like we could actually make this to where people would find it palatable and actually enjoy listening to it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, uh, you know, it was... (laughs) I think you'll notice with that interview and with the Manny Mullins one, um, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, I think the the band probably is tired of talking about a record already. Um, So to me, it was like, okay, let's talk about this new thing that you're, you're, you know, trying to promote a little bit. But then let's just, like, have fun and talk about you know like i know he loves seinfeld although it couldn't have been funnier that by the time he was like really into seinfeld and wanted this guitar with the lobsters on it you know the the costanza thing and the or i'm sorry the uh, actually it's a kramer shirt thing but um you know he wanted this seinfeld you know based guitar and by the time he got it he's like yeah i was kind of already over it at that point and it's like isn't that the most seinfeld thing that could have happened to you (laughs) right yeah yeah he guys went on and on about seinfeld I like the bit about stand-up comedy, though. That that was all news to me. Um, I didn't know that he was as into, like, stand-up. Yeah, it uh, was something, I mean, I think that's the thing, too. And, you know, I've kind of seen some people comment on this. Um, 
in other interviews and in Facebook groups and so forth where it's like if you're going to interview someone find find something that a million people haven't already asked so it's like you know I kind of wanted to talk to him about the conception for you know the gaff tape ESP Explorer that he has like that he always uses and just basically, like, yeah. I, I kind of wanted to be like, have you noticed, has, like, the gaff tape industry, like, sent you a thing, like, thank you for using pink and, you know, neon green gaff tape. Uh, we've noticed sales have gone up since you've been around. <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, enough people have asked about his guitars, enough people have asked probably about this record, working with John Feldman. It's like, you know, you're three months, four months into a new album cycle or so, and it's like, you know, you you all have probably been beaten to death about a lot of stuff about the band, so it's like, let's make it more personal to you. And I don't know if people are going to like that, but I feel like that makes it more – that makes this interview more unique than any other interview you're going to hear with him. I mean, at this point, the album, you know, we have it. So any questions that we have about the album can probably be answered by listening to the album. Um, but no, what I liked – one of the things that I feared – you know, where I was like, oh, okay, cool. Another Treyu interview. Uh, was how much is... of a fanboy I am. Right, right. Um, I was like, you know, how's this going to go? But, like, this was a vastly different experience than the uh, than the Porter interview was. You know, where he, he got really personal and deep and, you know, like, introspective. And this one was a little bit more of a lighthearted kind of fun conversation. And... Um, I think that just shows the difference in people. You know, um, I think sometimes we like to think of bands as soulless, faceless entities that only create music for our pleasure and uh, getting to kind of look behind the curtain more so in a way more than in just a behind the scenes studio footage or this is the kind of pedal I used in order to make this sound like, but to actually get a good feel for the people in the band that you like. I think that's ultimately more, important and more engaging than just information about the music because like we're gonna have the music we can listen to the music yeah most definitely i uh i also think you know in in context to the porter episode though i mean that's the difference of you know him and i getting to know each other over the course of a year and a half versus this is the first time i've ever talked to dan at all in any way shape or form so there's there's a little bit of that feeling out thing the interesting thing to me and and i don't really know because, you know, I can't take myself out of this scenario because I can put myself right back in the, the seat I was in talking to Dan. So I guess I'll kind of ask you this. Does it seem like when some of these interviews we've done, whether it be Dan, whether it be Maddie, whether it be whoever, you know, we end up talking to, that as soon as we kind of shift to something more personal, does it seem like they open up a lot more to you or is it just me? Well, I think that's mostly a you thing, um, getting people <laughs> to kind of open up more. Um, but again, I think part of it is just to sit down in person. I mean, if you do almost more in-person interviews than anybody I've ever met. Um, because I think it is hard to open up to somebody over Skype. Like it can happen. And I mean, hands off to the people that it, that have done that. But I think the concept of sitting down and talking to an actual human being adds, you know, a little bit more of like a, cause like think, think of like if you're on Skype and you ask somebody a difficult question at that point, they could be like, this interview's over. <laughs> or if they feel uncomfortable and they, and, and all they have to do is press a button and it's gone. Yeah. Um, but whenever you're sitting down talking to somebody, it's not like you were like digging for dirt or asking difficult questions necessarily, but I feel like we get more human answers out of more human interaction. And, uh, so I feel like, I feel like, yeah, I, I think that, that 
when you give a little bit, they give a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think one of the great philosophers asked, are we human or are we dancers? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes uh. I love throwing weird oddball shit at you like that just to see how you re- react to it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I I guess that's as good any as uh, a spot. A great philosopher, right? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember the song. Actually, I I was like, "Where do I know this from?" But (laughs) it's killing you, isn't it? Yeah, it's the killers. I know. I I have Google. Because John and I are not doing human interaction, uh, so I can look stuff up really fast so I don't look dumb. <laughs> um, I guess that's as good as any uh, time to – speaking of Google, uh, plugging Dan's and the Atreus socials, uh, if you would like to follow Dan on Twitter, uh, it's just under Dan L. Jacobs. Uh, there's an underscore between the uh, Dan underscore L underscore Jacobs. Um Twitter for Atreyu, just Atreyu Official. Actually, Atreyu Official pretty much everywhere you go between the socials. Uh, if you would like to follow Dan on Instagram, just Dan Jacobs. And uh, got to say, he's a fun follow on Instagram, as is all of the Atreyu dudes right now, because uh, their Instagram stories are a lot of fun. Um, just a band that's having a lot of fun in general, you could tell on this tour. And uh, I definitely got to say, the tour itself, uh, everyone's hanging out on the tour. Everyone's having a good time. And I think, you know, I would... I kind of wouldn't be surprised if there was a second leg of the tour because, I mean, shit, half this tour is sold out. So, I mean, there's still obviously a high demand for this tour. It was a great package. Everybody firing on all cylinders. I would recommend that you go, but I think at this point, as of when we're recording, there's only like three or four California dates, and I believe they're all sold out. So you're just shit out of luck on that. Um, But if Atreyu ends up coming around uh, your town in the following year, which I'm sure they will, go check them out. And, uh... If you would like to keep up with Dan, he will tell you where you can be found. Oh, well, you know, I could be found at my house. And I <laughs> Google can be Maps. Found, uh, yeah, Google Maps. Um, I can be found on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. I can be found on Facebook under Daniel Terry or under my other podcast, uh, Discography Discussion. And you can find out more information about that podcast at DiscussMetal.com. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube under Johnson Title Podcast. Tweet at us at Johnson Title Pod and email us at johnsontitlepod at gmail.com. If you would like to keep up with our show partners over at Moshpit Nation, you can find them on moshpitnation.com for album reviews, concert reviews, concert photos, and so forth, and the host of this podcast. Uh, follow them on Facebook at Moshpit Nation West Capital MI, Twitter and Instagram are simply Moshpit Nation. And if you would like to keep up with our show's sponsor, The Bean Bastard, you can do such at TheBeanBastard.com. Twitter and Instagram are simply The Bean Bastard, and I gotta tell you, I am looking forward to getting some of that delicious, delicious coffee straight from the Bean Mobile. The Bean One, I believe is what it's called. And I will probably <laughs> take some photos, maybe do an interview with Nick real quick while I'm there. And uh, very much looking forward to it. Uh, and we are going to end this episode, as we always do, with a song. And as you heard Dan pick, he wanted us to play it out to Atreyu's House of Gold off of their newest record, In Our Wake, which is out now. Go pick it up. Really great record. Uh, really great vinyl, too. If you have an FYE near you, there's a really nice purpley mauve, translucent kind of color. Um, looks really great. I need to pick one up myself. Um, so, yeah, go do that. And we will talk to you guys next time with somebody. Talk to you then.
No joy in my life. Ended my day.